0: You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. This Romans chapter 5 that we've been talking about, justification, peace, and grace, the Lord's been giving me thoughts about things. I shared a little bit of it with Israel yesterday. Justification, peace, and grace. This was normally not the message to God's people. In fact, the message was get right or die. Get right or die. There was virtually no good news in the Old Testament. It says, if you, you know, one of the scriptures says, if you carefully, carefully observe all that is in the law to do, it's in Numbers, I think it is, if you carefully tend to everything that's in the law, then I'll remove sickness and disease from among you. Yikes. That's not much of a a promise to claim. I mean, that's not something you say, Hallelujah, I'm claiming that promise. (laughs) If you carefully observe every single law, then you get healed. See, this is the Old Testament kind of gospel. It all relies on you. all depends on what you do. But in grace, we find that God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Wow. That kind of makes, makes him free to do anything he wants to for us. Because I'm convinced that God hates sickness just like he hates sin. Absolutely. But he doesn't hate the people who sin. He hated sin so much he just took sin upon himself and got rid of it. <laughs> so good. Got rid of it so he could express his love and kindness and generosity to us. For the law came by Moses, it says in the Gospel of John. The law came by Moses, chapter 1. The law came by Moses. Why don't we just turn there, John chapter 1, verse, uh, I'm guessing now, but I think it's verse 14. Or 17, or 12, let's see, no, I told you I was guessing. What? 17. All right. 17. John 1, 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Are we saying the law wasn't truth? Well, not in how men can live. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I wonder why people who are in Christ are still talking so much about the law. Come on now. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Do you see that which side the... <laughs> thank you, sweetheart. You are such a fan. I love you. You're Y'all thought we brought her up here to be a worship leader. <laughs> I brought her up here to say amen. <laughs> you, see side, you see which side truth is on? Truth's not on the side of the law. Truth on the side of grace. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. You're not going to make it to heaven because you perform well. Amen. That's it. I'm glad. Yeah. That's it. Amen. You're not going to make it because you perform well. And, and every, every, every one of you ought to be thanking God for that every day. It does make me thank God every day. Yeah. I thank Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't thank Him because I have a direct relationship with Him. I thank Him because I have a relationship with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My direct relationship with God was one, was one where I go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That was my direct relationship with yeah. the Father, with, with, with God, because He wasn't my Father then. He was just my God, yeah. Yeah. and I was going to hell. Yeah. You understand this? It's good. Acknowledge Him as God didn't make, didn't make a bit of difference. But when I got in a relationship with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ, yes. He started treating me like He treated Jesus. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> like he treats Jesus seated at the right hand. Amen. Amen. We are seated with him in heavenly places. I'm not seated in heavenly places. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Come on, somebody say amen. You see this? I can't get there by myself. I'm there in him. Hallelujah. Now here's the beautiful part about that. You need to hear this part about this. You really need to hear me say this so you know really where we come from here at the river. When he leaves heaven, I'll leave. But as long as He's there, I'm going. Amen. That's not about my choice. That's about me being in Him. Amen. As surely as He's there, I'm going there. As surely as He's going to stay there, I'm going to make it. Believers don't die and go to hell, believers go to heaven because they're in Christ. <sighs> that's better news than your shouting. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm in Christ. My whole existence is about Him. Romans chapter 5 now, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this faith that you have brought you justification. We have peace with God. It brought you peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we've been talking about this from last week, justification, peace, and grace. These are all products of your faith. All products of what you believe. Did you hear me? Justification is a product of what you believed about it. Peace is a product of what you believed about it. And grace is a product of what you believed about it. The reason more people don't don't have these things working in their lives, justification, peace, and grace, because they've not heard any kind of faith message. They've heard do message, not be message. Are you listening to me? Doctrine without theology doesn't work. This is how I teach my students in Bible college. Doctrine is that which we talk about man's responsibility. And that's in the Bible, by the way. You have responsibility as humans and as believers. You have responsibility. There's some things we say you must do, you need to do, you're going to do. So forth. That, that's part of it. But that is nothing but pure legalism without an acknowledgement first that grace has already accomplished it for you. And your only doing is the believing. Amen. One of my favorite verses is found in John. I think it's John chapter 6. It says, Here, this is the work of God. This is the work of God. That you believe on Him who sent you. So if you're believing, you're doing all the work you really need to do. You're just believing in the doing that he did. Amen. Glory to God. And that that as a supernatural impartation of the credit that Jesus brought into his own life. Amen. Amen. You get it accredited for his goodness, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Let me give you these three thoughts. Justification settles your past. Amen. Peace stabilizes your present. And grace secures your future glory to God glory to God justification settles your past peace stabilizes your present and grace secures your future we already said that justification what it means that if somebody's done something wrong like if they killed someone and and they ruled it justifiable homicide then, it, then he was justified in what he did. The justification that God offers isn't saying, okay, you're, you, you, you're right in sinning. He doesn't say that. What he said was, you sinned? I have no record of that. He justifies you to the point that there's no record of it ever happening. No record. That's what he means when he says, I will remember their sins no more. That means he really will forget them. Remember, we talked about the forgetfulness of God. We wish we had, I wish I had that kind of power to forget some things. Yeah, Casey, you got some things you'd like to forget? Come on, can I see three hands of people who, you got some stuff you'd like to forget? That you did. (laughs) Not that everybody else did, but that you did. I got some stuff I'd like to forget I did. <laughs> Come on, Brandon, raise your hand, son. Yeah, I saw, I saw you. You're in the military, you've got to be honest. But God, but, you know, but God can. He, he can just forget what He wants to forget. And if there's no record in heaven of it, why would you keep a record of it? That's so good. Guy, sins a sin. comes to says, Lord, forgive me. Now, let me say to you something. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins. And that word confess there isn't talk about, doesn't mean to talk about it. It doesn't really mean they were supposed to say, well, I sinned and it, I, I did this and this and this. You know, like going to the little booth and talking to the guy in the robe. <laughs> Go get some tissue. hear this it's going to help you amen amen praise God amen come on you've needed it bad sometimes too you know what I'm saying we're all in this we're all in this together that word confess doesn't really mean go find somebody to tell it to or even talk about it to Jesus what the word really is the word homologeo. It's not homologia. It's homologeo. And listen to this. It means. It means. I may have the words transposed, but it means to say the same thing as. I want you to follow this. First John one nine has a little variation on the word. It doesn't mean to just say what is. It says. To, it means to say the same thing as. So when you confess to Christ, that passage actually says, to say the same thing as Christ says about your sin. Yeah. What does God say about your sin? You listen to the legalist preach. He's going to tell you, God hates sin. God hates sin. You've got to say how much you hate sin. What God's saying about your sin really is this. Christ died for that. Yes, right. That's, right. oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what God says about your sin. Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried and He rose. And God has a final message on it. Christ died for it. Hallelujah. So when you, when you go talk to Him about it, you need to go and say, Jesus, You died for my sin. Christ died for my sins. Now listen to me. He is your high priest. And if your heart is broken and you need to weep, weep. If you need to say, I'm sorry, say, I'm sorry. It's okay. He's your high priest. I'm not going to beat you up about, about saying I'm sorry or any of that, but, but don't leave that prayer till you say, Christ died for my sins. Till you really confess it and say the same thing. And say what God said about it. Amen. That enforces it in your life. Remember, you have to say it. 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 Remember, you remember, I've told you this, but you all have asked me. Most of, most of the leadership, here's asked me, Pastor John, we need you to say these things over and over. So I'm saying them over and over. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to say them every Sunday over and over, but, but I, you have to say it. Remember, Abraham had had God say it for 24 years. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. 24 years God said it, and nothing happened. Right. Oh, wait a minute. I was always told, if God said it, that settles it. No, that's not exactly true. Not exactly true. It only settles it if you'll agree with him and say it too. If you'll only homologeo, hallelujah, say the same thing he said. And when God changed Abram's name to Abraham, and Abraham started calling himself father of multitudes of nations, three months later Sarah conceived. Hallelujah 24 years God saying it alone and nothing happened you know that Bible's been said for forever for, for, it's, been, it's been laying on the shelf of your grandmama's house for all your whole life And that changed you little until you got a hold of it yourself and started talking right. it. Yeah. Yeah. That word was spoken thousands of years ago nothing happens until you get it yeah. till you say it yeah. I heard somebody say one time well I need a rhema word well open your mouth and say it then buddy No, I mean, I need need the Holy Spirit to speak it to him. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. The Holy Spirit will speak when you open your mouth. He lives inside you. He's not out there somewhere trying to get a message to you. you got Old Testament thinking when you think like that. New New Covenant thinking says, I open my mouth and the Holy Ghost talks. (laughs) Glory to God.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Hallelujah. I just believe this stuff. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. I just believe it. (laughs) Huh? Is this right? Does it sound like Scripture to you? He lives inside us. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. I don't need to, I'm i not standing here on planet earth bare and barren and, and neglected and alone and needing a desperate visitation from God. Listen, when I showed up, the community got a visitation from God. When you showed up, the community got a visit. Your workplace gets a visitation from God when you show up. Your house is a place where God lives because he lives in you. Glory to God. Ooh, glory to God. Mm, I just start talking like him. You just talk like God. Well, man, you you don't think you deserve all that, do you, holler? No, I know I don't deserve all that. But I'm completely convinced Jesus does. And he wanted me to have it. Glory to God. Justification, just like we never did anything wrong. Jesus gave us a little bit of insight into this. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with oh, verse 9. He gave us a bit of an insight as to what was coming when the new covenant happened. You've got to remember, Jesus did not preach the gospel as you know it. I didn't say he said anything wrong, and never did anything wrong, but his message was not the same message that you have. His was the gospel of the kingdom. That's a message for people who do not have a savior. I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to help you get into the new covenant instead of, out of that transition period between the old and new. Into the new covenant. <laughs> Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Never once did he ever preach the gospel that Paul called the gospel of Christ, which was Christ died for our sins, and so forth. Jesus predicted all that, but he did not preach that that was not his message. Mm, This is helping you, isn't it? This is helping you. You are the beneficiaries of a rare word in the earth. But Jesus did talk to us about what was coming in in this new covenant, also called the kingdom of God. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father. He's teaching them to stop calling him, the Lord our God is one God, as they said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's the, to this day, that's the mantra of the Jew. The Lord our God is one God. That's the first thing they stop start with. That's why, that's why James said, because he's preaching to the Jews, that's why the Jews say, you believe in one God? Well, the devils believe that too. You're not in the New Covenant because you believe in one God. You follow me? Yes. Believe, they, they believe in that one God and they tremble. It yeah. did not say they believed in Jesus. All right. All right. This, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father. What? Yes. They've never heard anybody pray our Father. Yes. Never heard anybody t- connect themselves to God as His children. Amen. Always as His slaves, always as His subjects, always as His servants, always as His pupils or His disciples, but never His children. Yes. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, there are several points here that you need to understand. The first thing is Jesus wants you to identify with your God as your Father. And then he wants you to praise him. Hallowed be thy name. We did that today. And look at the next, next verse. Thy kingdom come. Now he wants you to talk to him about the big stuff. He wants you to believe that you have a right to come sit around the, the the table with him and talk about the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. What is it you want in the earth, my Father? What do you want our church to do? What do you want our city to be like? Yes. Show me. I'll obey. How do, you, how do you want your kingdom implemented in the earth? Glory to God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will. Be. We, we, you, you can talk to God about big stuff and he'll, he'll talk to you. Yes. Yes. Thy, thy will be done in earth. As it is in heaven. That is, that is you, have, you are the voice on earth. God is the voice in heaven. And you are the voice on earth. And the only way it ever, it, it ever happens that His will is done in earth is if you are in line with His will to enforce it for Him. The Next thing. Give us this day our daily bread. He knows you need stuff. Now you can talk about what you need. I want bread, and I want butter. <laughs> bread just signifies what it is you need. Everything you need. I, give me my, I, I, I want my stuff now. You, you, you saw that new dress. I, want, I, mean, I think it's included. Everything you need, you can talk to him about and ask for. Yeah. Hold on to your seat. Look what the next thing says. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now I was raised a good, uh, in a good uh, tradition. We were taught things like this. You better get that sin out of your life. You can't come into God's presence with sin in your life. You got to get that straight. How many of you were taught the same thing? Yep. Funny thing to me that Jesus had dealing with our sins way deep in the prayer. Yep. Did you notice that wasn't the first thing on the list? Did you notice it wasn't the first thing on the list? Father was first. Praising him is next. Talking about his kingdom is next. Asking for your stuff is next. We're going to get around to talking about what you did wrong, but we don't want that to be the first thing that comes up. That's That's not the way the Old Testament is at all. It's not the way most of our traditions are, most of the church is. Most of the church oh, God, we're such sinners. <laughs> oh, holy God, please, we need you. Oh, really? Really? That's not how Jesus taught us to pray. He didn't, he didn't teach us to come begging. He taught us to come boldly. Look, God knows you're stupid. <laughs> he, he knows you do stupid things. I don't mean anybody personally. You just know what I mean. Humankind, we're just stupid. Do stupid things. He knows this. But he doesn't want every time you come into his presence, you're always talking about how bad you are. Do you want your children acting like that? Every time they have a conversation with him, Daddy, I've got to tell you something. Oh, God. (laughs) I don't like these talks. (laughs) (laughs) Huh? Can't we just talk about... Good things once in a while? Come on, somebody say amen. This prayer is a strange prayer to most religionists. Jesus doesn't think like religion thinks, which means he didn't dream it up. Never was his idea in the first place. It's all part of that man-made fig leaf. Hmm. The next thing your faith brings into your life is peace. Talked about this again last week. Peace. I didn't get to this part though. I did tell you that Irene, which is the Greek word for peace, means a state of national tranquility, an end to the rage and havoc of war. And the gospel of peace, which our former pastor, who's still an associate of ours who is in Minnesota pastoring a church, starting a church. This church still supports him. He was strong to preach that gospel of peace, to emphasize that to us so we could get it. It's not just a gospel to save you, and it is to save you, but it's a gospel to let you know that the war was over. The war was over. The war is over between heaven and earth. And God is no longer angry. He vented his wrath on Jesus so that he could proclaim peace to the world. Peace to the world. And all of Paul's letters open, Peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How does he say this so confidently? How does he know? How does he know? Well, he knows what the gospel means. That God got over it. Come on, tell two people, God got over it. God got over it. He got over how dumb you were. He got over how, how rebellious you were. He got over that and paid a price so you could walk away clean, so you could walk away forgiven, so you could walk away blessed. Amen. I want you to see something here. Take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 or look up on the screen, 614, Ephesians 6, 14 and 15. Ephesians 6, 14 and 15 says, Stand therefore, and remember this is the talk about the armor of God, right? Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, all symbolic language. Your loins girt about with truth, using the the, the armor of a Roman soldier. Girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace i've did some i have done some some greek word studies here i did i did some pretty intense study here and i found out that what this means is that your feet have to be prepared for different shoes well how do you prepare your feet what's the number one thing you do to prepare your feet for shoes wash them, wash them. The number one thing you do to prepare your feet for shoes, well, at least women do, (laughs) uh, and and, and paint your toenails, of course. (laughs) 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 Feet need preparation, and the primary preparation is washing them. That's what you do. You wash your feet and you put on your shoes, especially 2,000 years ago, because they didn't take as many baths as we do but they did wash their feet regularly. People came into your home, ladies, what you would do is you would take a pan of water, you would sit them down, you'd pull off their shoes and you would wash their feet. Have any of you ever had that done to you? Yes. Let me see your hands, you've had, you've had someone wash your feet before? Have any of you ever washed somebody else's feet? Let me see your hands, same hands went up, because usually it's a ceremony and you take turns. You wash somebody's feet, they wash your feet. I don't know about you, but I i didn't really have the feelings of being humble when I was washing somebody else's feet. <laughs> <laughs> but when they were washing my feet, ow, oh. ah, yeah. ah. When they were washing my feet, I had the terrible feelings of humility. Yeah. Yeah. It just was horrible for me. I didn't like it. I didn't want it to happen. It's humbling to have somebody wash your feet because they see those toenails. It's (laughs) It's so humbling. Yikes. The humility isn't in the washing the feet. The humility is in allowing the feet to be washed. There was a day where Jesus took a towel laid his garments aside, his outer garments aside, put on a towel, knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. And he said, remember this is right at the end, when the, when the real gospel, the one that we know, when Christ died for our sins, that's about to be enforced, it's just days away. In fact, it's just two days away. That day and the next day. Three days later, he rises from the dead, so let's say four days total, five days, whatever. From this day, when he's washing their feet, he comes to Peter. Peter, let's take your shoes off. And Peter says, No! You're not going to wash my feet! And Jesus said, If I don't wash your feet, I'll have nothing to do with you. And Peter said, well, then wash my whole body. (laughs) No, all I need to do is wash your feet. And Jesus went on to explain what was obvious. Serving one another. Leaders serving one another. But I think it had a deeper meaning. I know it had a deeper meaning. He was preparing their feet for the gospel. Feet preaching on the mountains aren't beautiful unless they're preaching the gospel of peace. He was symbolizing that he was washing away the old message and getting them the ready to put on the shoes of the new message. And he said, and if you won't do this, I'll have nothing to do with you. If you won't do this, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Glory to God. Glory to God. the gospel of peace how beautiful on the feet how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring glad tidings preach the gospel of peace we said last week also that the third thing that comes into our lives so dramatically is grace unmerited Unearned, undeserved favor. But I want you to know something. You can increase the grace that's in your life. You have so much grace. You, you have enough grace to take you to heaven, save you forever, save you eternally so that you'll never, ever be what you once were. I know Christians who are trying to be what they once were. <laughs> <laughs> Dallin, I didn't mean to look right at you when I said that, but I'm just saying that... that, that There are Christians who are trying to be what they once were, acting like fools. I didn't say they were fools. I said they're acting like fools. But this grace comes into your life so dynamically when you are changed inside. That no matter how foolishly you live your life from then on, you can never really get away from it. And you probably, above all people, are more, more miserable than anybody yeah. because you're tormented. I don't know if any of you ever spent any time after you came to Christ, genuinely born again, and you backslid and went back to other things. You remember how miserable you were? Yes. More miserable than you ever were before when you were saved. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Because you have this inner conflict now. Used to your spirit matched that lifestyle. Now your spirit doesn't match that lifestyle and you know it. (laughs) Lay awake at night. It's just awesome. No preacher on earth could torment you that way. It's not your spirit tormenting you. It's your actions that torment you. It's just so much better to live congruently. Miss Ann told me that word means in sync with. <laughs> 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 to live a congruent life, meaning you're, all the parts of your life are in sync with the inner man. Your heart is righteous, so your mind is righteous. But let me give you a little trick here to get your mind righteous. You've got to first get your mouth righteous. This is a key that most Christians refuse to do. Well, I just tell it like it is. No, you just tell it like you feel. You don't tell it like it is. You're just talking like it it feels. And I'll tell you, that feeling will change if you'll start telling the truth. If you'll just say what God says, you'll correct that mouth. That mouth will correct your mind. It will line up. Change everything about the way you live your life. But you can increase in this grace. Let's let's look at a couple of promises. James chapter 4 and verse 6. James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's also in 1 Peter 5, 5. I want to read that one. It's almost exactly the same wording. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves uh, unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. I've got a few verses here for you. I'm making a point. Micah 6, 8. Jesus quotes Micah 6, 8 in Matthew 23, 23. Micah 6, 8 says, He hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk how? Humbly. Humbly. So justice, mercy, and humility are here. I only find this list of three things, justice, mercy, and one other thing. Justice and mercy are talked about quite a bit throughout the scriptures, but justice and mercy with one other thing is only one other place that I could find in the scriptures. It's in Matthew 23, 23. And I believe that Jesus, because it says he's showing the old man what is good and what does the Lord require. So this is a pretty big thing: justice, mercy, and humility. But when Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew 23, 23 and quotes, I believe, Micah 6:8, he says it like this: Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For ye pay tithes of mint and anise and coming. And have omitted the weightier matters of the law, what God really requires, the weightier matters of the law. He says justice or judgment, mercy. And what's the third one? Faith. He translated the word, the Old Testament word humble, humility, to the New Testament word faith. I don't know how many times I've been called arrogant because of my faith confession. I say, pardon me, this isn't my opinion. My opinion is I'm sick as a dog. <laughs> my body tells me I'm sick. Call mama for chicken soup. <laughs> huh? But I'm keep, I keep saying his opinion. Yes. Your body's going to cry for all kinds of stuff. Your proud flesh is going to stand up and claim it's right to complain. But humility just claims what God claims, says what God says. Real humility, the best definition of humility is this, that you consider others better than yourself and others' opinions. You exalt other people's opinions above your own. And true humility cannot be had with a sad sad face alone. True humility is expressed by simply humbling your own opinion under God's opinion. What does that do? That cleans up your mouth. Cleans up your confession. And the Bible says, He gives grace to the humble. Wow. Wow. If you'll just say what God says, no matter how it looks to you. Get your mouth corrected. Grace will flow to you in every part of your life. I don't know about you, but I need more grace. I need some more grace. I I like it. I like grace. I I like the way He... He brought me out of darkness by grace. I like the way he, he settled my score by grace. But I still have some mountains out there in front of me that I'm, I need some grace for. Come on, anybody got any mountains you need some grace for? Amen. Amen. I need some more grace. And he said he gives more grace, but he gives it to those who will humble themselves under his opinion. I was, years ago, I was in one of the prettiest cities in Texas called Kerrville. I don't know anybody ever been to Kerrville. A few of you have. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. We have a church there. One of the churches I give oversight to is in Kerrville, and it sits up on top of a mountain and overlooks the entire valley out in the middle of Kerr County. Just 22 miles south of Fredericksburg. Beautiful, beautiful place. For Texas, it's pretty. I was there one time preaching And uh, the pastor was on vacation. So I stayed for a whole week, as I used to do a lot, and still, y'all know I missed a few Sundays this summer from covering for other pastors. When pastors go on vacations, it's kind of one of my responsibilities. I actually did it here a time or two when Curtis was gone. That's what I do. They know I'm not trying to take their church from them. (laughs) I'm not vying for any job. I, I, I got plenty of jobs. So I, but it's just one of the things I do to help the pastors that I give oversight to. And I uh, was out there, and so I was going to be there for several services. I had an elders' meeting scheduled. He wanted me to sit in on the elders' meeting. I did a Wednesday evening. I did a Sunday morning, a Sunday night. I did lots of services. But while I was there, I got a call from a woman who started telling me about her bad husband who was in that church. She told me about this guy, what an awful, terrible person he was. I didn't know him. I didn't know very many of the people. I knew the leadership, but I didn't know hardly anybody else in the church. Yeah, he does this and he does that, and he's this way, and I'm leaving him. We're in the process of, I've already filed for divorce. I'm this and that and and that. No, no, she hadn't filed for divorce. She said, I've already left him, and I'm filing for divorce as soon as I can get $1,500. Do you have any idea where I could get $1,500, preacher? <laughs> I'll pray for you, but... Uh, well, I really need the $1,500 because i got to get away from this man. And just on and on. And so she told me the whole story again. And it, I'm telling you, three or four times she had told the story. And every time she went around the block, she added another sinister element to his life. And about the fourth time, I guess, she told me he had been molesting her children. Why didn't that come out the first time around? Yeah. What she was doing was making him worse and worse, trying to get me to react, because I wouldn't react. I said, well, he should go to jail then. That's what I'm saying. Well, tell the cops. Call CPS. Oh, well, I, I don't know. I, I just want to divorce him. Oh, yeah, he's molesting your kid, and you won't call CPS? Okay, yes, ma'am. God bless you. Come to church, okay? Well, I can't come to that church. I said, why not? Well, the people there hate me. All the people? Yes. Okay. But you have to believe me. I'm telling you the truth. (laughs) I bet that last part's true. (sighs) I hung up the phone. She she called to get me to give her $1,500. She knew the pastor was out of town. She heard, you know. So she told me the story. We go to church and she's there. She gets out pretty quick. Next day we have, we have uh, the elders meeting. No, 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 we didn't have the elders meeting that day. Some of them asked me. Some of them just called me after church and said, what was she doing? I said, I invited her to church. Well, she's not really welcome here. said, so what's up? Uh, it's just, Pastor John, you just don't need to know. It's, it's just bad stuff. Okay. So, we go to church on Sunday. And in church on Sunday morning, I began talking to people about their needs. I said, somebody here has needs, financial needs. Who here has a big financial need? And several people raised their hands, and I prayed. And we just prayed and broke the back of poverty. I said, but I just feel that somebody here's got a really significant need. And an old cowboy from back to back, still had his hat on. He's a real cowboy because he had stuff on his boots. (laughs) He comes walking up real slow like with his head down. I just love these kind of guys. He's walked up there. Looked out from under the brim of that hat. He said, Pastor, I I just need you to pray for me. He said, "I, I was working on the church property up there on the mountain and blew the transmission out of my truck. He said, I need that truck to work. I said, What's your name? He said, my name's David. I said, David, how much is that going to cost? How much is that going to take? He said, well, that's going to take about $1,500 to fix it. I said, elders, I don't know. Y'all are going to receive an offering from me today. I know your pastor instructed you. Yeah. I said, let's go and take that offering up and give it to him. I'm not being a hero. I'm just telling you what I did. You know how much the offering was? $1,500. It was just over $1,500. They said, we're going to give it to him. I said, that, that's what I want. Hey, so he gave the money to him. Then they turned around and took up another offering for me, twice that size. Wow. That our church had money. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. I was Ooh. blessed, you know, before I got out of the building. But then we had the elders meeting that afternoon. Stay with the story. It's good. We're sitting there. and They said, now tell us again. Why that? And they called her name. Why she called you? I said, I don't know. She said this and this and this. She said, they all said, none of that is true about her husband. None of that is true. So what was she wanting? I said, she wanted $1,500 to get a divorce. And one of the women started going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How much? $1,500. Oh, my God. I said, what's the matter? What's the matter? She said, she said, do you know who that cowboy was? Y'all know who he was? She said she called to get $1,500 to divorce him, and God gave him $1,500 instead. Go, go. I didn't know a thing about it. Go, go. <laughs> Truth is, th- six months later I went back out there, and I said, "How you doing, David?" He said, "I'm doing good now that they put my wife in prison." <laughs> 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 oh, it's the first time I've ever laughed about a woman going to prison, but I did. <laughs> She was scum, man. She was bad. <laughs> and he's still there, raised all of his kids by himself. Still there. Praise God. I want you to understand that that grace comes to you even when you don't deserve it. Even when you don't deserve it. Even when you don't deserve it. Even when you don't. When you don't, when you don't, when you don't not all that. Not all that big about it. But if you want to be certain that you can cause it to grow, cause it to be more grace to you, get a hold of how you talk. There should never ever be in any of us any ill wishes toward others. Really. There never really should be anything that causes you to want to point your finger. Because if you do that, you're saying of yourself, I don't really like who I am. And God really likes who you are. He really likes who you are. There's no need for you to hate others, because all you're demonstrating is how much you don't really love yourself. Which means that you're not sure how much God loves you. Because when you love, when you know God loves you, you cannot hate yourself. And you cannot hate others. You cannot hate others. No need to hate others, no matter how scummy they are. Yeah, Yeah, people act that way. The love of God causes everything to change, but it can only flow in this earth through people who know they are justified, know they have peace with God, and know they have the grace of God flowing in their lives. You have justification because of your faith. You have peace with God because of your faith. And you have a grace that flows to you to cause you to overcome every obstacle because of faith. Let Let me let you hear these words. Romans 5, 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Justification settles your past, peace stabilizes your present, and grace secures your future. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment, please?